0: You are listening to the IFH Podcast Network. For more amazing filmmaking and screenwriting podcasts, just go to ifhpodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to the Indie Film Hustle Podcast, episode number 632. Screenwriting is like ironing. You move forward a little bit and go back and smooth things out. Paul Thomas Anderson. Broadcasting from the back alley in Hollywood, it's the Indie Film Hustle Podcast, where we show you how to survive and thrive as an indie filmmaker in the jungles of the film biz. And here's your host, Alex Ferrari. Welcome, welcome to another episode of the Indie Film Hustle Podcast. I am your humble host, Alex Ferrari. Now, before we begin, guys, I wanted to let you know about a free class that I am offering to anyone interested in film distribution. It's called the Film Distribution Crash Course. And in this crash course, I show you the top five distribution agreements and pitfalls to avoid when working with a traditional distributor. I discuss what a standard deal looks like, gross versus net profits, distribution expenses, windowing strategies, and how to increase leverage with a distributor. If you want to get access, all you have to do is head over to indiefilmhustle.com forward slash free. Today's show is also sponsored by Rise of the Film Entrepreneur, how to turn your independent film into a profitable business. audiobook. If you want to order it, just head over to www.filmbizbook.com. That's film, B-I-Z, book.com. Now, guys, today we have returning champion Linda Nelson. And I brought Linda back on the show to talk about AFM, the American film market, what the world of film distribution is looking like in 2023, and how the world is just changing so rapidly in the space of film distribution. And truly, that everyone is trying to figure things out almost on a daily basis and trying to figure out how we can make money. And Linda is on the forefront. She is in the trenches every day dealing with that. And some of the stuff we talk about in this episode is fairly surprising on where she and her filmmakers are making the most money right now. So sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with Linda Nelson. I'd like to welcome back to the show returning champion, Linda Nelson. How you doing, Linda?
1: I'm doing great, Alex. Thanks so much for inviting me. It's always a pleasure uh, to speak with you and your audience. And yeah, so it's often, been filmmakers say, "Oh, I heard you on a Deep Film Hustle." <laughs> uh, it's, it's great.
0: We love I pre. It. I appreciate that you were. I if I remember, you were like episode 19. Uh, I think you were like, if I remember, you were in the teens.
1: The first time.
0: Yeah, the very first time, no. which still gets listens and still has great value in it, by the way. But now we're at episode 620 something or other now. So it's oh. been a, and you've been on. I mean, you, you I mean, the record is still RB from stage 32. He's been on like 13, 14 times. But oh. you're but you're up there. You're like been on four or five times at least. Okay so uh we make it a yearly event at this point in the game uh and and it's always wonderful talking to you because you are in the in the trenches of indie distribution and when i say indie distribution i mean true indie distribution not five million dollars and we've got darren aronofsky making your movie we're talking about million dollar below half million dollar below kind of indies which is where the majority of independent film is is right now so My very first question to you is what is the state of film distribution right now?
1: (laughs) Well, I'm happy to say that I think it's the best it's ever been. And we are experiencing more and more people submitting films to us, you know, which I think means that more and more people are, you know, there's a constant new stream of filmmakers making independent films and interested in making films. Uh, which is fantastic, and I swear, at least three times a week, I've got a new platform coming to me saying we want content from you. You know, and and part of that's because we have a very diverse catalog. So if somebody, especially new channels that are launching, right, they can you know have a pretty good choice of uh, content that they want. So. I, you know, there have to be 2,000 streaming channels out there now. So nice. there's a huge opportunity, you know, for
0: anything. So let me ask you about those other, because I remember a couple, like three years ago, four years ago, when I was the la- I think the last AFM before they went, before the pandemic, 20, I think it was 2019 or 20, yeah, 2019. Um, What I was hearing, OTT, 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 everyone was talking about OTT and these new streaming services coming over. What do you see? Do you see any major revenue coming in from those 2,000? I mean, other than the majors, uh, other than the big boys, like these independent streamers around the world, are you seeing any money coming in from them?
1: The, The one that we're seeing the most from is actually YouTube. And we should, you know. Oh no, we're, I'm
0: going we'll to tee you later. up. I'm going to oh, tee okay. you up on YouTube. Don't worry. But okay. no more about but, these but independent ones,
1: in like YouTube uh, or uh, Roku channels. You know, like there's constant stream of, and not all. It used to be that Roku was the only option for these new channels, right? Roku box. And so there have been a thousand Roku channels for probably two years. But now, all of a sudden, there's just as much activity going on with Amazon Fire, which is another little way to turn your regular television into a smart TV. And it's just like a USB stick that you stick into, you know, your TV, and it turns your TV into a smart TV. So all of these, you know, technological innovations are making it possible for a lot more people to enjoy streaming. And what's great about all of these channels is that there are now very specific channels for niche content, which you've always, you know, been a big proponent of understanding, you know, who your audience is and and understanding, you know, that you need to find your audience, you know, for your niche. So for example, like Deco is for LGBT, I mean, didn't exist a year ago. Year and a half ago, but now it's very popular. And so I'm getting whenever someone comes to me with an LGBT film, they say, "Oh, can you get us on Deco?" Right. So you know. So and and there we have a fishing channel that's become popular. So the the channels that I think will succeed are ones that are very specific with their content, right? So that you can find them. Uh, and I think that what's going to happen is that there will be A huge consolidation of the generalized ones. And we're seeing that because, like, you take, for example, um, uh, Chicken Soup for the Soul. I don't know if you remember those books. They were so popular. There were about 20 different chicken soup books, right? Well, they uh, got into the video business and started buying up channels. And they now own Screen Media, Mm -hmm. which owns Crackle and about, they've now got about 10 streaming channels. So I think we're gonna see a, a, a big consolidation, you know, go on in the next two years, you know, and things will settle down. Right now, it's just like this crazy, you know- uh, uh, Wild Wild West. Yeah, Wild Wild West with tons of channels, and and some of them, you know, occasionally one pops up that's doing well. Uh, we're uh, Roku channel seems to be doing well. Um, I think there's uh, something very specific happening with like the major studios because they were late getting into the game. They decided to buy or acquire existing successful channels rather than start over and have to you know totally start from scratch. So you had first you had Fox buy Tubi. Mm -hmm. Right. And so that was, you know, almost two years now. And but what we're seeing and and this makes can make it more difficult for independent films is that they are now loading up their star driven content onto Tubi. And that is pushing down
0: the indie content. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. So it just
1: means that the indie filmmakers have got to work a little harder to make it into the carousels, the various carousels on the channel, you know, so that they can get discovered. Or they have to do more direct marketing with links, you know, to their content. So it's getting a little bit harder, you know, to find some of our films on Tubi. And I think the same thing is going to happen with Voodoo. So Universal via Pandango. Purchase Voodoo from Walmart, and that's the same thing, and it's just because they want to have Avon channels. They know the advertisers are, you know, are putting their ads, you know, on these channels, and it's it's a replacement for old fashioned television. Except that you just you get to watch what you want to watch when you want to watch it. You don't need a TV guy. Just you know, you're going to be swiping through, you know, all of the um, posters, and we'll talk about that later too
0: so I, you know what right now i the thing i always tell people is that the the main money for independent films unless it's of a certain budget range and a certain cast is avod avod is where most of the money is being made unless you can drive traffic if you can drive traffic tvod still somewhat and we'll talk about tvod in a minute uh wow. svod we'll talk about in a minute as well but avod is the place where most independent filmmakers are making their money. Now, if you've got Bruce Willis in your movie or Nicholas Gage in your movie, that's in a different stratosphere and that's a different conversation. Uh, but based on a certain budget and certain cast, AVOD is the best. Is that what you're finding right now?
1: Uh, it is. We, ha- we are seeing very few films be successful on TV. We have two right now that have made like twenty, thirty thousand 30,000 in a month but it's because they had, it's it's one, it's not their first film. And, you know, and that's a discussion in and of itself about building a body of work. You know, so because they have that experience and, and, and they're on their third or fourth film, they have an existing audience that's waiting for their next film. So they've been able to really capitalize on that and do well on TVOD first. That one usually doesn't last more than, I would say three, four months at the most, and then it'll start to trickle down. So what we do is we really carefully monitor the TVOD. And if we see nothing in the first month, we're turning on SVOD if we can, uh, and AVOD also. Uh, but if it's going if it's going well, we'll leave it just on T-Bot until the revenue gets down to under five grand a month. Mm-hmm. So we to, you know, kind of milk that for all we can while it lasts.
0: Yeah, it's, you know? and,
1: and but it's, it doesn't happen often,
0: right? And it's and again, it's because those those filmmakers are driving traffic. They understand right. how to market, how to drink. I mean, I had I had right. Mark Toya on the show who, who made Monsters of Man, and he made. I think he's at the six or seven million dollar mark at this point, uh, but he understands. And he had a million dollar movie with no stars in it, mm-hmm. but he understands how to market uh, in an action an action movie about robots in the jungle. And he was able to, and he did it so well that he's still making money every month. He's pulling 50, 60, 000, uh on Avod, and and he still does TVod as well. But he knew how to drive that traffic with Facebook ads and YouTube ads, and, and that kind of stuff. But that's an anomaly. You know, it's Mm -hmm. not like it was. I mean, I had uh, I had uh, Michael Polish on years ago uh, Mm -hmm. in the first hundred episodes, and he made a half a million on TVOD off of a movie called For Lovers Only. But it was 2010. Yeah. I mean, in iTunes was just starting and he had a face of a of an actress who was, you know, she was just starting out on a big show on Castle. And it just was this whirlwind but it was a different uh-huh. time. That movie comes out yeah. today. I don't think VODs it, it won't make half a million dollars. Yeah. You know, it's just a different world. So really quick, cause I know we're throwing around terms that a lot of people understand. Um, for everybody to understand TVOD is transactional video on demand, AVOD is advertising video on demand and SVOD is subscription video on demand. And transactional means rental purchase, things like that. AVOD is ads and subscription is Netflix and Amazon, uh, and those kind of Hulu and those kind of packages. Which brings me to my next question. In the Avod space, because I know this has jumped back and forth a bunch, yeah. you know, Pluto, Tubi, uh, and YouTube, which was gonna talk about, where are you seeing the biggest the biggest returns right now in the Avod space? And where do you see it going uh, in the next year or two? If you have that, if you can look in a crystal ball. Oh,
1: sure, sure. Um, well, right now I have to say Tubi, but it is for Kind of specific content uh it's urban it's crime right uh we do not have docs doing well on tubi for example you yeah. know so uh that you know is providing the largest you know revenue we have we have this cool uh film called ppp loan gone mm-hmm. okay and it's about People that have squandered their PPP loans instead of, you know, like hanging on, to it, and now they're broke again. And so, uh it's it's
0: done uh, huge. You did ninety thousand the first month. We're on Tubi. Yeah. So oh, let me yeah. add, so, but so, but let me ask real quick. I don't mean to let me ask you about yeah. Tubi, and and this is something so so. Filmmakers listening can understand the mentality about Tubi. Tubi is a free service. So the customer base on the free service is going to probably be lower to middle uh, income kind of people, generally speaking. Is that a fit? Because you the know, kind of movies... I, Tell I me.
1: thought that too, but more and more people are saying, oh, I watch movies on Tubi all the time. Me, Me personally, I don't like to be interrupted with ads, but there are a lot of people that, grew up with regular television and they're used to getting up and going to the restroom or grabbing a snack and they don't doesn't bother them so I, i initially thought that but i i'm not of that persuasion anymore and also i think the fact that they now have a lot of star driven content on the channel right that that is also changing that
0: well, is it, but so, so it's, it's so what happened at Tubi is exactly what happened in the VHS market, because originally in the VHS market, the studios were staying away from VHS because they're like, no, 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 we don't want to do it. And then the boys right. like Canon and Troma and New World came in mm-hmm. to fill up the content space. But as mm-hmm. soon as the studio said, oh, oh, well, let's throw in our stuff, their yeah. back catalog stuff come in. And then, as you know, the right. Canon boys went under New World right. kind of did their thing, Troma kind of, but they all dropped. Because now they had competitions from Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt and all these big stars. Right. So That's which what's happening is, now.
1: It, it is, and, and it's why I think that for indies, uh, more niche channels are going to grow and become, you know, better providers, you know, of revenue, uh, as long as they can survive. I mean, we'll see in the next couple of years. Are going to be who? Which of these channels that are still truly indie? You know, are going to survive, and there will be there'll be a number of them. Maybe we'll have five, maybe we'll have ten. But also, what's happening with those is that some of them are going global, and that's really affecting the whole marketplace too, and markets, film markets. So we can talk about mm-hmm. that a little bit. But I mean, like you take for example the Roku channel; they're planning on going global. Global, uh, Freebie, which is Amazon's. Avod channel is planning on going global, and that's going to change things too, you know, and and, and Europe is starting to catch up. One of our big goals at the market this year is to make sure we are connecting to uh, the best streamer in every territory so that we can get content, you know, in all of the foreign territories. Yeah. So, so
0: that's well,
1: just happening now. They're way behind the United States.
0: So, so that's a good question. Then, if the if oh if let's say freebie, because I know freebie is in I think the UK. They're started, They're launching in the UK soon, and they're starting to to roll out. Um, I've heard freebie is a good place too right now for AVOD. It's it's like mm-hmm. up there with with Tubi. Um, but if these big channels start but to go, in... Not,
1: I'm gonna just stick something in there because I don't want to forget about it. Bravy is paying 10 cents an hour, period.
0: Yeah. That's right? considered good. <laughs> it,
1: it, it is, but it's not dependent on the number of ad
0: impressions. Right.
1: The way, the way all the other Avons pay you a, a specific rate based on a 1,000 ad impressions.
0: Mm-hmm. So it's a different right. model. It's just a completely totally different, model. different model. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. So, so if these, these companies start going global, that that's going to affect the markets. That means you can't sell to Germany because your film might already be in Germany because you are able to place it in Germany. So Uh you're going to get more money out of your own placement in Germany, or you're going to make more money selling it to the guy or gal who, you know, can put it in Germany. Like, how has that changed the dynamics of the markets and Jen being able to sell internationally? It, it's really changing it because we
1: are, we have now started turning down some all rights deals in territories uh, because we feel we can make more revenue streaming. And as as some of these bigger streamers like Roku channel, uh, Freebie uh, become global, And accepted, you know, uh, in the same way that it took Netflix a number of years, right, to go global and be global in all of these territories. You know, it's going to take some time for the the indie streamers to uh, mature in the marketplace, too. But as that starts to happen more and more, the all right deals are not going to be as valuable, I don't think. And, you know, so those deals have tended to go down in value anyway.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Right.
0: And so right, yeah. It's not always, the fifty thousand or hundred thousand dollar buyouts that you used to get. It.
1: No, they're like fifteen, twenty for is good. <laughs> <laughs> so uh but also it means that um we have to really watch, you know, what's happening in, in these territories streaming wise. The thing that's really important for distributors now, and this is has been pivotal for us is that you have really great rights management software you know like for us all of our content now lives in the cloud and we have it's all every time we make a sale it's marked for that country so that when somebody comes to us and asks for a list of films that are available for their territory we can do it just like that and deliver just like that whereas before It would take a lot of research and digging through contracts to figure out, okay, which films are available for which territories, right? It was all done by hand and on spreadsheets for years, but now, you know, people are starting to, um, the technology is good enough uh, to be able to uh, do that. So for distributors, those are the distributors that are going to survive, are the ones that can really manage their rights.
0: Effectively, so 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 when, because I remember when we were doing our deals back in the day for my my couple films, uh, you were saying like, yeah, we're not going to sell to Australia because we already have it on Amazon and the Australian guys, unless it's a special deal, we'll make right. more money just because yeah. of what they're, they're going to do. They're going to put it up on Amazon, so right. we'll we'll just keep that money. Would it make sense then? Would you be se- Would you be interested in selling other rights in those territories like cable? Things that oh, you sure. can't oh, cable, sure. Broad- theatrical things like that.
1: Broadcast, airlines, um,
0: ships. Yeah.
1: Most most of the films that we have are, you know, are not going to go theatrical. They're just not big enough budget, like you said, you know. But but it, but it's rising. We're starting to now. Kind of our upper limit is like three million, where it used to be one million. We're. We're starting to get a little bit better quality films and start to see, you know, some people. Like, we just got a fantastic doc that uh, features Colin Farrell, uh, who made a football team out of homeless people in Ireland. And it's fantastic, you know. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know, the more we can do that, the better relationships we're going to be able to build with, you know, broadcasters so well, that's opening up more for us
0: than it was in the past so let me ask you this though and, and i want this to be people to really pick up open up the ears with this it, you know star power is still star power um the only thing that trumps star power is niche and the niche has to be executed almost perfectly uh and there's a lot of work to do that but right now as you see that those, those carousels, those, those thumbnails go by, you stop generally when there's a star that you recognize. Yeah, is, that, is that still true at any budget range, almost?
1: 100 percent. And it's like when we got that film with Colin Farrell, and there was no picture of Colin Farrell on the poster.: what I'm the like, heck? Yeah, and, and it, it may have been his personal preference to say, "No, I don't want to spotlight on me, I want the spotlight on the team." You know, but we were able to, you know, uh, change our landscape posters and have him, you know, a good picture of his face with a couple of team members and stuff. And it makes a huge difference. It really, really does. And uh, so, star star power is important. Um, and the niche thing, the truth of the matter is, there are big niches and small niches. Right. Yeah. But the,
0: know, basket, I mean, basket, the basket,
1: the basket, the
0: yeah, the if basket weaving movie is not that big of a deal.
1: No. <laughs> yeah. Or so like if you have a movie about baseball, that's huge. You mm-hmm. um, know, we had a we had a baseball film that just did tremendously well because of that. And and but, you know, for example, um, you know, LGBT, if you get a really specific niche there and it's only about trans, it's that niche is much smaller, right? Than so baseball. The baseball, so you have to really work a lot harder, you know, at at, at connecting. So, you know, yes, niche is important, uh, but you have to be sure that you know you're going to be able to connect to that audience. And then one of the and then one it of can the- cross over. I mean, we've we've had some films that start out with a small niche, and because a film is so good, it expands and it's in, it's interesting to a broader audience.
0: And I know a a large part of your catalog, you've really focused on urban films and Uh and films that aim at that demographic, that niche audience. Uh And they've done exceptionally well with no star power. And sometimes, you know, I've seen some of the trailers. I'm like, how much did they make this for? Like, what? (laughs) And it's being watched how much? Like, it's not, you know, it's not like high end, you know, giant but big budget productions. But they understand their audience so well. I mean, it's what Tyler yep. Perry did. I yep. mean, exactly. It's exactly what Tyler exactly. Perry did. He's like, he knows his audience. You know, the Medea movies when they were starting out were not huge budget films and they don't look like they're huge budget films, but he does good money. He's done okay at Tyler Perry. Oh. He's done okay, he's done okay he for has,
1: himself. He has some amazing studio in Atlanta.
0: Oh, Just I know it's stunning. unbelievable. It's stunning. What so but so doing? but so you've noticed that in, in the urban space. Um, that's a that's an example of a niche, which is very large and mm-hmm. still underserved. If, am I correct?
1: Um, it's becoming less so because it's incredible how many people, you know, like in Detroit, Atlanta, um, Michigan, LA. Uh, it's a new way besides music. To try and make a name for yourself. Mm-hmm. And so, because the cost of making a film has come down so much, because I mean, we just got a film yesterday where the film was shot on an iPhone because the new iPhone creates, does PowerShell files.
0: Yeah, it's stunning. Yeah. So, you
1: know, so it's just the cost has come down. And so, like, people would start young and, 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 and they can really create a name for themselves. I mean, we've got, we have filmmakers uh, from Detroit that started when they were, you know, like, I don't know, 18, 20 years old. And now they've got five films under their belt and the productions look really good.
0: You know? And they're getting up there.
1: We have a new series coming out that that the filmmaker feels is almost comparable to The Wire. Okay, so we'll, we'll see. I mean, <laughs> we'll it see. looks we'll fantastic. See. Right. I mean, you know,
0: a lot of times
1: people think they're. No, no, it is. You
0: mean crazy, crazy filmmakers who think that they're they're the next Spielberg? No, that never happens. There's no egos in our business. Linda, come on. (laughs) So so I just there's
1: a lot more urban content and uh, we we have more competition. There was a time we I think we were kind of like the pioneers in the beginning. You know, uh, for that and we helped a lot of companies grow and so now it's interesting there are several uh, distributors that are focusing on urban content.
0: Now is there, is SPOT a thing anymore because that's so many things that people young filmmakers especially in these 500 million or below they're like Netflix. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Hulu, an Amazon buy. I haven't even heard of Amazon buying an indie film anytime in the, in recent years. Um, what what are you seeing? Because I know you have. Like I remember you did that. Was it the blockbuster, or the Netflix documentary that got sold off? Uh, but that's such a specific thing uh, yeah. in the S in the S space. Are you seeing SVOD deals? And if you are, what kind of deals are you seeing? We're
1: seeing we're seeing S deals that are. Niche-specific, like that fishing channel, right? There's a sports channel that's, you know. So we're seeing some very niche-specific s channels. channels. Uh, as far as the big guys go, Netflix, as far as we're concerned, is not for indie films. Our level of indie films. It just isn't. They won't pay you enough, and they re- require so much exclusivity. Right. That you you you've blown it. Everybody's seen it, and you've made no money. I mean, you, even you know, like I mean, we had one filmmaker who had a about a two hundred and fifty thousand dollars film. Waited almost a year for his offer from Netflix. They kept promising, 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 and they kept telling, keeping us on hold for a year. Finally, the offer came through thirty five thousand dollars. <laughs> okay, so he was heartbroken. What do you? you of know? course, of course. You know, so I mean, it's just it's just not worth it to waste your time. They want it. so that's the biggest s spot that's still there. Hulu is is ad support now. you know, well, it's I, both the combination, they have three different tiers, right? But they're only doing original content now
0: when I, buy, so
1: I... but the same as Netflix, same as mm-hmm. you know.
0: Well, I actually got, I sold This Is May before I, This Is May came to you. I sold This Is Meg yeah. to Hulu. Yeah. And and in 2017, that never would happen today in a no. million years because it was.
1: Our film delivered, we sold it, went to Hulu.
0: Yeah. But, it was a, just a different place back then. Yeah. And it, it's well, just it, it's just remarkable. Now, uh, yeah, because that's why it's just this big thing that everyone always talks about. And I just wanted to kind of debunk that. You were going to say. Well,
1: there's, there's two other things Netflix is adding in november an avon
0: of course they have to they have to an option yeah of course they have to
1: and then prime uh i still in my head i'm thinking amazon wants to move most of prime over to freebie Mm -hmm. but still we have a number of films that have good enough customer engagement I mean, I'm, I even have people come to me and say, "Oh, don't put me on you know Amazon Prime because it's only a penny an hour." Well no, it's, it's at the penny an hour if you do nothing and don't promote your film. Yes, but for our filmmakers that work on promoting their films, getting reviews the way you know we teach them, then they have a CER in the '90s and they're getting 12
0: cents an hour. so
1: which um, is
0: which is good. You know, I mean, 12 cents is better people, than one cent. But isn't it sad Linda though like you've been in the game long enough to remember when you could actually make more than 12 cents oh for one for one, for one view 20. I understand but you remember when right. they were you were making 3 dollars oh, yeah for a rental or 9.99 or, or god forbid a DVD at $20 per per purchase you know it's only four
1: or five years since Amp then that iTunes was the top revenue producer for us yeah, right. It was all paid transactional. And and that's because there was this slow transition from the video store to streaming. Right? So the only advantage to like iTunes and Amazon T Bod was you didn't have to get in your car and go to Blockbuster. Right? That was the advantage. So you were still used to paying $3.99, $4.99 to rent a dvd for the weekend you know and we used to all go to the you know the video store and pick up three or four movies for the weekend
0: mm-hmm. i mean it was you know we're dating about- ourselves we're dating ourselves linda <laughs> <laughs> But,
1: but, but so, so that and slowly that has transitioned to the fact where people don't want to pay for it anymore they just don't want to pay unless tom cruise is in it or you
0: know you know but that's like one movie like top gun is an anomaly like that's such an anomaly because I actually paid for that movie. Like I I, I watched it in the theater yeah, and then great. when it came out, I was like, I'm buying it because it's such an amazing, I want to see it on my surround sound at home and all that stuff. But that's rare, you know, now Marvel rare. movies come out. And unless it's a Marvel movie that I really, really want to go see, I'm like, ah, it's going to be on Disney Plus in two months. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll wait and then I can see it at home in my surround sound. Like for me to, it, you know, it doesn't, doesn't do it for me as much as it used to. And I think and a lot of people are doing that. Especially kids. Exactly. I mean, it's, so it's exactly. expensive it
1: to take kids to the theater
0: now. It's yeah, it's still yeah, I mean, you t- take Top take Top Gun and all the Marvel movies out of the theatrical experience last year. And what does it what is what is what do they have? Really? It's going to be a tough not it's not what it used to be without any question. Now, uh you you mentioned uh, this little new company called YouTube uh, that's coming up. And uh, I've I've seen firsthand, I've had other people on the show talking about it. Uh, you mentioned it, I think, in our last conversation. And people, uh, filmmakers, the, the filmmaking snobs, if you will, uh, because we're all, again, we're all geniuses. Uh, all of our work is Oscar worthy. I understand that. And when you hear the word YouTube, you're like, you want to put me up next to cat videos? That's ridiculous. Tell everybody the truth of what kind of revenue is being generated on YouTube right now.
1: Well, we have a comedy special that made thirty thousand dollars last month. Last month. Our YouTube channel.
0: On (laughs) your YouTube channel. On our YouTube channel.
1: Okay. And you know, it's interesting, still like you were talking about, almost you know, almost all of our filmmakers, when they first come to us, they're like, "Oh no, please don't put my movie on on YouTube. It's too good to be."
0: On it's way too good,
1: and 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 it's just that I think for the most part, filmmakers don't stay on top of what's going on in the industry, right. right? So, which is why I think it's like really important for filmmakers to allocate a little time, you know, like each week, just to see what's going on in the industry because. Uh, it is constantly changing and it seems to be changing more rapidly now than ever. Um, there, this whole new concept of MCNs, which are multi-channel networks has actually been around for probably about more than 10 years. Would you say, mm-hmm. Michael? Mm-hmm. Uh, because, um, Disney bought the first big MCN. Mm-hmm. You know, and paid a lot of money for it. Maker and Studio,
0: were, Maker, Maker, right, Studios, Maker yeah. Studio, Studio,
1: mm-hmm. and so, so they've been been around for a long time, but it's kind of been under the radar because YouTube people don't see YouTube as being comparable to Universal or uh, Paramount or Warner Brothers or even Netflix. But, but now, they, but
0: they're bigger. Now, they're bigger than all of them.
1: So they're bigger than all of them together. Right. Okay. Two point six billion active users. That's a lot of eyeballs. And we really think within the not this year, but by the end of next year, that they will be the largest broadcaster of independent film. No question. I believe, I believe I believe that. And and what's there's so many advantages of you know, having your content there. Ninety. Okay, we have a channel, and we really just started building our channel in January or February, right? Really building it. We've always had one. We used to use it just to put trailers on it, and then the trailers would have a link to where you could rent. Well, be
0: or Amazon. Yeah, or,
1: or Amazon or whatever. And then, then we we realized that there that when. The, the bigger MCNs were coming to us, asking us for content. Whoa, well, what's going on here? Right. So we uh, have a partnership with um, uh, Valley Arms. Valley Arm is out of uh, Australia, and they're one of the largest MCNs. And they were really smart. They set up all of these different specific niche channels. So they have movies that I uh, think their main channel is called movie central. And then there's uh movie, central horror movie, central drama, movie, central sci-fi uh, movie, central docs. Right. And so if you look up movie central, you'll see they have like 11 channels. And so they market
0: those channels. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the
2: show,
1: uh, And so there's very specific places for people to see, you know, the content. And not only that, YouTube actually markets
2: the algorithm,
1: not their algorithm pushes 95% of our views come from recommendations from Google, just naturally through the algorithm, not the filmmakers. Only 5% comes from the filmmakers directly saying. I think there's still some resistance to people saying watch my movie on YouTube, but I think they'll get over that quickly. It's
0: a branding thing. It's a branding. It's a branding thing.
1: You get to see our reports. So when you see the next set of reports, you know, not so much this one, because we just started really in January, February. But we for four or five years, we had only 10,000 subscribers. Right. Well, now we have a quarter of a million. Right. Just just this year. And and it's and it's going really, really well. So we um, we start we're now starting our movies on our YouTube channel. and That's Indie Writes Movies for free. And but we also work with three MCNs. We work with Jungo TV and they have a couple of channels Uh, and the, the films are getting millions of views and and it's it's amazing they they, the mcns actually have a a a special uh relationship with google where google gives them more more information um and uh features than just a regular individual youtube user has
0: and so and so everybody listening Thinking like, okay, great. I'm just going to put my movie up on YouTube. I'm like, no, no, it doesn't oh, work that oh. way. You need, you need, a, you need to have a channel that's monetized first of all, which you need yeah. over a thousand subscribers and four thousand uh, hours of watch within a twelve month period. Uh, also,
1: but, be a lot of subscribers.
0: A lot, yeah. Was, a thousand subscribers a isn't going to do it. So, yeah. but I've been looking. I started doing a lot of research into these uh, MCMS, and it was pretty interesting to see. I mean, some of these have three, four, five, seven million, ten oh, yeah. million 10 million subscribers. So you're thinking about that. You're like, well, if you just put a movie up, you know, if a percent, you know, or 5% or 10% watch, you know, right away. And then the algorithm starts kicking in. And if it's something that's niche, then it goes into the niche algorithms. And if you know what you're doing on YouTube and how to optimize it. And also one thing that's really interesting, too, the CPMs. Uh, Hi. cost. Are high, much high. higher. Than- they the highest, much they're higher highest. than Amazon, much higher than Tubi, yeah. even right. Yeah. Uh, yes, it's just volume right now, so it's just coming up now. Do you believe? This is really interesting because the studios haven't done this yet. Studios have; they're scared too to jump in. They'll put their movies up for rental on YouTube. They th- what I've seen is the clips. They do a lot of the clips of you know famous movies. So you'll, and that's been going on for a while. Do you think that they're going to open up? You know, they
1: already are. They already are. There's several studios that are putting their content up on. Them.
0: Like Lionsgate, I'm sure Lionsgate will do yeah. soon.
1: Um, I, I I have to go back and look, but we researched that too, and they're they're starting to do
0: it. All. They
1: realize but the
0: value too. They, there's a lot of value there, and there's but, a lot of eyeballs there. Six
1: billion eyeballs. There's plenty of room for all of us there. You
0: know, right. So- and- but it's also what you've done is interesting because you're creating your own CBM. So that means it's your audience, your subscribers are free of charge, are going to your channel. So your content's gonna be seen up there first.
1: And we're not splitting that revenue with anyone else. If we were put our movies up to an MCN, they're automatically taking half of it, the right. revenue. Right. And so then we are paying our filmmakers 80% of half of the revenue. Whereas the, the stuff that's on our channel, they're getting 80% of all the revenue, which is great. And the other thing that is so incredible about YouTube is the, the analytics are beyond insane. belief. They'll tell you cities, what cities are watching it. So you can focus your your uh, marketing. Uh, they tell you what cities, they tell you what age, what gender. Uh, Everything. Know, it's... The the demographics are beyond belief. Nobody nobody else does that. I mean, I, I can't tell you how, how many finally Tubi now has a new portal for distributors and we we can see by territory. But up till, you know, a couple of months July 1st, they opened a new portal to us so we could see what, you know, what's selling in Mexico, what's selling in the US, what's selling in Australia, New Zealand. So uh, So I think, like I said, as these channels go global, there's going to be more and more opportunity, and and hopefully we'll get more demographic information. Like for Amazon, we only know by country.
0: Yeah, it's it's a completely different mindset because YouTube is built around. Yeah, there's I mean, YouTube is essentially a social media platform mixed with a video Mm -hmm. platform, so their Mm -hmm. analytics are crazy, and they want their creators to have as much information as possible so they can continue to create. So it's like a perfect storm. So you guys have essentially become your own platform and and a distributor as well. So hopefully one day you have 10 million subscribers and you just sit there and like, you know what, we're just putting it up on our channel. Nobody else is going to pay us enough. We're just doing that and we'll just split that with you. And that, that it, might, it might be. no one, one other thing, though. So if you obviously if you have an exclusive right to the movie, nobody mm-hmm. else can put it up on YouTube other than you. So there's only one copy of that floating around. But if you're working with other MCMs, how does that work if there's two of the same movie going on?
1: No, no. They currently YouTube is allowing multiple copies of the same movie. We they whitelist us. We have con, what's called content ID. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and so, like we Valley Arm, they whitelist us, so we're allowed to put the same content that they have. Uh, we've heard, you know, whispers that eventually, um, that YouTube's not going to want to have competing channels, competing so, content, and so competing yeah, con- channels, competing but, but, content. Yeah, comp- well, the channels are competing, but
0: like, but the same movie, yes, you know, the
1: same exact movie. So so, but that has not happened yet. Uh, you know, and w- if it does, they're going on our channel.
0: <laughs> right. Because you <laughs> control it, you control it yeah, and you're, sure. and you're growing it at such a rapid rate but, because you're offering basically free movies to an international market. And then you could also do, you know, translations to other languages if you want and target those. There's so many different things, but you're in complete control of it. You're not dealing you with it. Right,
1: and, and what's great is it's so simple just to geoblock. So say we have a film and we've already sold it to Germany and Malaysia and uh and taiwan then when we're setting that up on our youtube channel we just block, block those off, territories you block those territories so you know so it, again it's a that rights management issue is really really important I,
0: I mean i've been yelling it from the top of the mountain that mm-hmm. youtube's the future and people are like you're crazy i'm like no <laughs> no i've been a youtuber for for over seven years as well. So I've seen what happened on my own YouTube channel. And then I started talking to other people who have NCMs that have done very, very well and are continuing to do very, very well. And so let me ask you then, what do you see around the corner in, in your eyes? Do you see, I mean, obviously YouTube is gonna be, I think you're I think you I think you're right, YouTube's gonna take over as far as independent films are concerned, gen, revenue generation for for independent films, generally speaking. Yes. Do you see something else coming around the corner that that you're hearing whispers of?
1: Well, one, for the first time in, in July, uh, streaming <laughs> surpassed broadcasts in revenue for the first time. <laughs> you know, wow. and it, it's actually taken longer than I thought. I Ten years ago, I would have said five years. and But it's taken ten years, you know, for it to happen. Uh, but the rate of decline is getting faster now, so I think you'll see very quickly that that traditional broadcast uh, cable
0: is just going to disappear, or go into like HBO Max, or go into yeah, they're all they're just going
1: to be pure streaming.
0: Every yeah, there's not going to be broadcast as much. I mean, right. we will come to a time we will come to a time where broadcast is gone.
1: Maybe people the things the things that may say although maybe not because of the internet is uh, you know like sports live events, but that was that's on Amazon Amazon Prime. Prime. Exactly. Thursday night football. Yeah, I mean, we watch the Formula One races on you know uh, over the internet um, streaming on YouTube TV.
0: (laughs) Yeah, ESPN Plus. That's that's streaming now too. Like, there's a lot of these. These channels are, it's- so I,
1: For the foreseeable future, I see streaming. Um, I'm, I'm not real hot
0: on these virtual
1: stuff that's going on. Like, we, we actually,
0: we- We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now, back to the show.
1: We actually have a movie streaming in a virtual theater in Decentraland. You know okay. Oh, okay? uh, yeah. So there's virtual lands out there where people oh. are businesses and shops and stuff. And, you know, like, so you can meet people, you know, with your avatar and go together to a movie theater and watch one of our movies in a virtual thing. But I just, I don't see that taking
0: over. She said famously on this episode. Uh, and then five years from now, I was so wrong. We're making millions off this virtual crap. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know, but you know what? Like, if you would have told me about that whole virtual reality, I'm like, look, it's, you know, it's, it's old, as old as, as video games themselves, yes. but it's turning into, I mean, people are buying virtual real estate on certain platforms. Oh, yes. Like, well,
1: decentralized central land. that, that's there's land for sale there where you could build a building and, you know, have a business. And, it's insane. Kind of it it's is. Ins- it's insane. It, it reminds me, there used to be Sim, was it
0: Sim City? Sims. Yeah, well, Sim City Sims. and then, The Sims, The Sims, yeah. And
1: I did that back there, but it died. And I tried to go back and think, why did that not really catch on? The tech.
0: The tech. Yeah, the tech. Yeah,
1: the tech. And, and maybe it was just the internet wasn't fast enough or good enough back then. So I don't no. know, but, So I don't see that happening. I just think we're going to be living in a streaming world. Uh, that there are going to be a num, that there will be a mass consolidation, uh, you know, so, but that the ones that survive will either be the big boys or uh, very specific niche content platforms, stream. And, you know, and it's going to settle down. There's a million things bubbling up there right now, but it's going to settle down. And then there's going to be you know, maybe there'll be two or three hundred channels the same way there was on cable. If you think back, you know, on cable.
0: Oh, my God, you're right. There was like hundreds of cable channels. Right.
1: Yeah. And then, you know, but it settled down to, you know, some reasonable amount of people. Watched Seventy.
0: Cable. Seventy yeah. cable channels yeah. as opposed to like five hundred. Yeah, it was it was
1: insane. I think I think we'll see the same thing happen with streaming. <laughs>
0: So, when you guys went to Cannes this year, what was it? What did you see there and, and what did you see differently? And obviously, it was I think that was the first one since the pandemic, right? Was, uh, that was, was live. So, yeah, what did you yeah.
1: see? We saw less people, uh, less buyers, uh, less exhibitors. Um, and I think that the reason for that, well, one, there were still some countries that couldn't participate. Mm-hmm. So I think the real bellwether is going to be AFM this year. But already I can see that there are only about, I don't know, 200 exhibitors so far. Normally there's. 600. But some big. But,
0: but yeah, well, I mean, you can't compare compare. You can't compare to pre pandemic uh, times. But from what I'm hearing, because uh, I'll be at AFM this year and I'm I'm working right. closely with those guys and they're telling me the numbers and there are some big studios that are showing up. So that's, that's nice. So that they say that's what they say Mm -hmm. that they've signed up and people are buying, but it is a shorter AFM. Uh, it is more condensed. Uh, they are focusing it more now from what I understand to the independent filmmaker or independent producer showing up as opposed to distributors and buyers is much showing up uh so they're doing a lot more education they're, they're trying to they're trying to pivot a bit because a lot of that business can be done arguably online because it was done for the last two years online so it's weird so i'm really curious to see what it's going to be like um at afm this year it's yes, be and all and also uh
1: afm is doing what candid and that is to allow exhibitors to not have an office in the venue, main venue. And I really think that's a bad idea and counter to their survival. So there are a number of companies and uh, that are having their office in the condo they're renting, right? Oh, and As not opposed, having it, not, and renting not it. having any any presence in the actual building itself and I think it's very bad for the market. But, interesting. Uh yeah. And so they're getting all the benefits, you know, where we have to pay a lot of money to have an office mm-hmm. in the in the hotel, right? Plus we have to pay the thirty five hundred dollars, you know, kind of registration for the company. They're getting away with just paying that and they still get all the benefit of being in, you know, on Sedano being in the printed catalogs, being able to do screenings, and being able to walk around and you know meet everybody in the venue. So I don't know, I just didn't think it was a very good idea. So I think it, you know, I think in the end, it's gonna hurt them uh, because I don't know, I don't, if if they're gonna be working towards, you know, producers going to visit people, if there's less people to visit, how do you promote that, right? And and we're not seeing a lot of
0: pre-sale activity. It's gonna be it's gonna be interesting. It's yeah. go, It's gonna be an interesting market to say the least. The first one that we'll we're back live. We're gonna live have
1: here. our normal wine and cheese
0: party on Friday night. And <laughs> you're welcome. I'm not sure I'll be there on Friday night, but I will be there a little bit because I've got kids and there's Halloween coming up. So uh, I'm not sure what the days are, but I'll be there. I so
1: think Halloween this- is our setup day.
0: So uh, I'll be there. I think the second through the fourth, I'm going to be there uh, during those times because I'm speaking on the third there. Uh, okay. So that'll be. Well, you but, can uh, come we, the night of the third. We will come. We will. We will. We will definitely connect. No question. Now, um, I, I want to also kind of debunk this because so many filmmakers still believe this as a truth, and it's not, in my opinion. I would love to hear yours. Film festivals. What does it actually mean to you guys? What does it actually mean to a distributor? And like, obviously, if you win Sundance and South By, it's great, it's nice. I, I'd like to win South By or Sundance, but it doesn't have the juice that it used to have, uh, that in my opinion. So what's your opinion on film festivals and how does that affect your uh, acquisition and how does it affect sales, if any?
1: If you uh, don't get in like one of the top 10 I would then only do maybe one or two local regional festivals, mm-hmm. you know, so close to where you live so that you don't spend a lot of money on it mm-hmm. because it's, it's not worth it. The smaller ones, it's nice to, you know, if you have a couple of laurels, but now that everything is streaming platforms won't let us put laurels on the, um, Posters.
0: I haven't they seen one.
1: Stripped off. Uh, we, I think is Amazon loving us. No, everyone now is stripping off. You know, we have to strip the laurels off the posters. That used to be the big advantage is that you can put the laurels on your poster. Um, you can still now, what we suggest to people to do is, uh, you know, when you have your trailer, have a screen, one of the, you know, screens show your laurels, you know, so, um, you know, it, it can have a little value. but like I said, if you don't get in the top 10, do one or two locals. And that's it, because what we've seen happen is filmmakers, they get on this run, and we have one film that went to like 25 festivals. Well, by the time they got through with that, the film's two years old, because people have a very bad habit of saying their premieres when they premiered a festival. Your film is not released when it's not premiering till it's in release, yeah. right? And so filmmakers have got to stop doing that on IMDb because every buyer that looks at our films looks at IMDb to see what year it was produced, and I've I've lost three sales because,
0: <laughs> because of, of this, this. because yeah. of that. Yeah, and it's again, and I think that's a holdover from the nineties, and it's a holdover from sure. that that era of like oh you've got to be in sundance or south by or tribeca yeah. and all of those are wonderful but if you've got a movie with no stars in it and if it's not the proper genre and you happen to win one of those festivals which i've been part of those movies and i've seen those firsthand it doesn't sell it just won't sell just because sundance is on yeah. you won sund award at sundance unless it's a proper niche proper genre or has some talent, yeah. Like you know, oh, Palm Springs sold for seventeen point five million. I'm like, yeah, it had Andy sandberg and J.K. Simmons in it. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Like, come on, like that was done already, and that was a that was a that was a deal beforehand almost. But it, it's just, I just want to kind of debunk that for filmmakers listening. That don't waste your time waiting a year or two That's for- money. Oh, save the your money. money
1: for marketing. <laughs>
0: we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor and now back to the show i mean it's but that's but and this is something that i, I know you deal with a lot you and michael deal with a lot linda is emotion because yeah. you this is such an emotional product it's not cookies it's not stationery it's not staplers it's not printers this is art that someone who's put their heart and soul into, and now they give it to you to do the business with, but then they have these delusions in their head or misunderstandings about how the business is run that they have expectations. Like I just talked to some some guy the other day uh, and he's like, yeah, I have this horror movie. I looked at the horror movie, it has no stars in it. Nicely produced, but nothing, you know, out of this world. And I said, look, you know, go to Linda, go to, i give you He's two or three, distributors that I, I recommend for this kind of budget. And it was done for like sub 100,000. And he, you know, I sent him to a distributor and the distributor called me. He's like, the dude says he's, he's expecting 600K because someone told him it was 600K. I'm like, are you out of your, I think they, they, they ignore him. Ignore him; he's crazy. But that's the thing. And then that craziness will last about six months to a year, until they figure out. Oh, wait a minute! Nobody's really going to give me six hundred k for this. No one's going to give me hundred k for this. Hey, no one's going to give me any k for this. I'm just going to donate this to somebody. That's actually where it. And you know, and that's so. Do you, do you? How do you deal with the emotions of the insanity that is being a filmmaker? Because you guys are filmmakers yourselves, so you guys are a little insane as well. <laughs> <laughs>
1: We are, and we're getting ready to go into pre-production on a film of our own. So, right. uh, you know, it's. Um, um, Do you know a good distributor? <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know, and, and, and it's very interesting because I would say at least at least half of the filmmakers that come to us that we decide to work with have overvalued ideas of, of their film. And and. You know, I mean, it's it's like, for and, and, they, and they've done some things that have really almost kind of self-sabotaged them from the beginning, you know, like uh, making their film in black and white or an indie film with no names in it. You just stay away from black and white. We have not been successful with one black and white film. And right now it's the reason for us to, to just not take a film. And and that's a, that's a shame. Uh, the other thing is that for some reason, indie filmmakers think they have to be super edgy, right? They have to have sex in it and, you know, and, and really extreme violence and show everything. You don't have to show everything. You could be like Hitchcock, right? And, you know, like, just see the blood going down the drain and we know somebody's been stabbed, right? Uh, mm-hmm. You know, and that's particular true uh, when it comes to uh, Avon.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And this is something that people don't think about when they're when they're shooting their film and figuring out their shots and what they're going to show on the screen and what they're not. It's critical that you don't have excessive drug, sex, uh, profanity, because YouTube, you advertisers won't put their ads on your content. Probably half of our library is unsuitable for ads which is a shame because, you know, we like everybody's film to be able to go on our YouTube channel, but we just can't Mm -hmm. uh, because they get denied. So every filmmaker, before they pick their shots and do their shot list, go on YouTube and look at their community guidelines and read them. They're pretty clear. They are very, they give very specific examples of what, you know, You know what you what's acceptable and what's not so really think about you know where's your film gonna wind up and it's not you know i mean artists don't usually they're not trained to think that way or they're not trained at all they 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 just don't normally think that way but if you want if you want success in the business and you want to stay in the business then you need to make films that have a chance of being successful and, and if your films are really good, they're going to be successful. So it's not like you're doing it for the money. You're not doing it for the wrong reason. But 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 you do, there are certain things that you have to keep in mind, you know, when you're writing, if you're a writer, uh, or if you're the cinematographer, the director, you know, how you're going to shoot and stuff. Really, really good. And, and then the other suggestion that can work, and we've been successful with this, is to make two versions of yourself mm-hmm. one for the regular streamers and then another uh mp4 edited version for a youtube channel and and sometimes it's just a matter of taking out too many f-bombs mm-hmm. right we had one movie got turned down for moaning <laughs> they didn't even show the, you know the the simulated sex but there was a lot
0: of moaning. Apparently, a lot, a lot. <laughs> and so they, as soon as they took the
1: moaning out, it passed. So, <laughs> so, anyway, so it's it's something to keep in mind when you're, you
0: know, when you're shooting your film. And you know, you know what? A lot of people are like, oh, but I'm an artist; I don't have to do that. I'm like, look, Scorsese couldn't get Taxi Driver. Through the the boards to get an R rating, because of obviously taxi drivers is a bit violent. Uh, yeah. Even even for the seventies, it was a bit violent. Oh, and all he did was desaturate the blood in the color to, in the color timing. Wow! And because he desaturated the blood, it passed. Nice. Everyone's got to deal with with censorship in that sense. Because look, this yeah. is just the world we live in. If you want to then build up your own channel somewhere in OTT. And have people pay you directly to, to watch your films. Good luck. Um, yeah. But that's an option if you want to be an artist. But this is this is a business. And you have to think about it as a business. It is the weirdest business. One of the weirdest businesses in the world. Because it is art and commerce together. And you got to kind of figure out that balance to make it work for you. Now there's... Um, there I wanted to one ask, other
1: thing that's uh, really important about uh, YouTube. And that yeah. is music rights. Oh God! We've had terrific amount of problems with people that a lot of people, unfortunately, when they license music for their film, they just get festival rights, right? And then they don't go back, and you know, never get festival right. rights. We no. suggest that you get perpetual rights right from the beginning, always. Uh, and, and 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 quite frankly, if your film's under hundred grand, I would say just do uh, ask for internet rights. A lot cheaper than trying to ask with the actual,
0: right? Or I'll tell you what, there is so many music services out there uh, Soundstripe, Film Pack, uh, film. Like, there's so many. Like, I did for both of my movies, I used mu- music from these, these stock places uh, yeah. that give you complete rights if you pay, you know, you, if you're a member and there's some really great songs on the, on the corner of ego and desire, all the music in there, except for, I think two pieces of music, which I bought outright rights to, uh, or had my composer do were so- songs with lyrics and they were perfect for the scenes and, and it cost me nothing because it was just mm-hmm. part of my membership of 180 bucks a year something like that. So there are other options. And if you're really going down and down and dirty, there is free YouTube music that you can download from YouTube itself to use for your for your content as well. Uh, you know, it all depends. But yeah, I agree. Uh, so many movies. Now, uh, that's another thing with, with post. So like, I, I know you like to use the term post-post uh, on your films. Uh, <laughs> and filmmakers have to understand post-post. Preparing for deliverables and preparing to get your movie into distribution from when I was doing it back in the day, my post house was much more complicated than it is today, where it seems that it's a lot easier, but still a lot of pitfalls to fall into. So can you kind of go a little bit over post post and what you're looking for in movies? Right.
1: So first I'll talk about, you know, uh, making sure that you're uh, preparing uh, for distribution. Um, Most of the premium platforms their minimum requirement is 1920 by 1080, ProRes 422 HQ, two-channel stereo. So we always require that from our filmmakers. That's the basic format, and your and your trailer must match the feature. Mm-hmm. Okay, so same frame rate, right? Mm-hmm. And so it must it must be the same. If you've also you know, I have a a 4k or a 5.1, you can include, include those optionally to us, but you must have that, that one format because that will work for us to put on every single channel.
0: We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show.
1: So so that's that's really critical. And, and there are some basic rules that you have to follow. For example, and different distributors will be different. We have a bumper, you know, with our logo on it that we require you to put on the front of your film. In the same way that Universal or Warner Brothers or anybody else would have you put mm-hmm. that on there. That has, to be, that has to be preceded by two frames of black in the beginning and two frames of black at the end. No more tones, no more color bars. Even the uh, for broadcasting, they're not requiring that anymore. So they don't, you know it's not something uh, that we want. and uh, nobody, nobody will take it. That has to be stripped off. And also, you cannot, on the back end, you can't put any URLs. So don't put your website uh don't promise any of your people that donated stuff that you'll put their website on there or their instagram handle no at handles no urls not allowed i probably 20 percent of the films that we get have that and they have to redo their film. so so that's that's really really important and um if you don't have a still photographer you can your editing system will produce very high res screen grabs. You know we we always need at least five of those, and we also need closed captions, two formats, .dot and .dot srt. Right. So those those are all of the and and the most important thing that you have to think about is your poster okay.
0: thumbnail. Some yeah.
1: Dumb, dumb, and we when we we require two. We require a vertical, a portrait, you know, uh, aspect ratio poster and a landscape poster because some platforms use landscape and some use um, uh, portrait. And have really clear title art. It has to really show up. If you have some little skinny font that you can't read it when you stand back, they'll reject it. You know, they want strong title art. Has to be Photoshop and all all text on separate layers. Uh, and um, strong images. No little people on the beach looking out somewhere. You know, it's you have faces. If you have anybody that's of uh, you know importance, you want their face on the poster. Um, but strong, bold images because your poster needs to be clickbait. When somebody's sitting with their remote control or their phone or their laptop and they're just flipping through posters, they've
0: gotta be grabbed by your poster. They have to be. So, so obviously okay. a, a puppy saving Christmas. That's obviously gonna sell all day. Yes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so if you have a Christmas tree and a little puppy looking
0: up at it. And maybe no. there's like a helicopter and he's hanging with it, right. like he's looking cool. That done. Done. Someone's right. clicking on that. <laughs> and and then put Dean Kane on it so <laughs>
1: <laughs> the posts are really important and the trailer also t- i'm going to say two things about you know shooting and, and editing your trailer um is important for t sites it has to move quickly uh, a lot of fast cuts even if it's a drama you still want it to move quickly no long dwelling moments You know, in your artistic artistic moments. Yeah, no, so so you don't want that. So you want it to be very fast paced under two minutes. It has to be under two minutes. If it's over, they truncate it. And, who, you know, that messes up your trailer. So keep it under two minutes. And then um, regarding the movie. It's more important than ever to engage quickly with the audience, Mm -hmm. especially on Avod. Because if somebody doesn't get engaged quickly, they're going to just flip right out because they haven't paid for it. And they will just, like, bounce off and try something else. On Avon, usually they don't even watch trailers. They just start the movie, and if they get engaged, they stay. If they don't get engaged, they're gone. So don't start with these slow-moving, you know, building, you know. Oh, moments! No, you need something has to happen in the beginning. And don't put everyone's credit on the front of the movie. All you need is the directors and the cast, that's it. And then you can put everybody's credits on the back because we get movies sometimes, you get 10 minutes of credits on the front. You say, oh, we have to thank everybody. We didn't pay them. And you can't do it. People just don't stay. And especially with Avon because You're getting paid based on how many ads people watch. If they only watch five minutes and they leave, you're done. You're not gonna
0: make any money. It's a different It's just such a different way of looking at the process. And Mm -hmm. and filmmakers need to people listening, guys, please listen to what Linda's saying because it is I mean, look, we've look. We we've been talking what seven years at this point, Linda. I mean, yeah. you've been you've been coming on the show for seven years. Okay. Many of the things that you're saying have not changed. Many things have, as far as the business is concerned, but a lot of these core ideas have not changed. And to think about your movie as a business is different. If you want to make an art house film, then just make an art house film, a backyard film, something that's art. Then go to some museum, see if they'll play it, um, you know, put it up yourself somewhere and see what happens, but don't be upset when you don't win the Oscar. Uh, but, right. And now you have to think about like, okay, you, you're almost changing the filmmakers almost have to think like youtubers, yeah. where they have to engage within the first five seconds, ten seconds, if not someone's going to click away, where the older filmmakers of an, of the of the generation behind us. Even in the '90s, you could take your time. You could build because you were in a theater, or you just rented a VHS or DVD, and you weren't gonna. You can't click away from that. You're kind of locked in, so it had to be really bad for you to get up, eject the tape, or or pop out the DVD or things like that. So you were. It was a different environment. Theatrical. You were pretty much locked in there for those two hours. So you. It was a much more artistic situation, but nowadays you're just competing with too much media from from social media to youtube creators who you know some guy who makes a 20 minute video about what mr beast doing whatever he does is more it's going to hold more people's attention when he does like the squid games uh redo with live people now and he did it all that thing made millions of dollars millions of dollars mm-hmm. And it cost him millions to make, but I think he pulled in at the end of the whole thing. I think that the numbers were like, you know, $750,000 million or plus take home off of that deal. And probably more so than now. But that's what you're competing with. And especially if you're on YouTube. Right. And so
1: then to answer the second half
0: of your question about post post.
1: Uh, we used to always think of, you know, your film journey as, you know, being in development and then pre-production and production and then post, and then you were done, boom, you give it to a distributor, finished. Well, now there is a new phase and we call it post post. And that's about posting after post production. And it's critical to the success of your movie and you can prepare for post post throughout your production cycle, Uh, everyone on your set has got a 4k camera in their pocket everyone can be doing you know small interviews with their castmates or their crewmates or you know what's going on and if you would provide them with a folder on like say google drive they can all upload to that and you're going to be collecting these assets that will become very valuable to you during post post because the worst thing i see people do when they realize oh my god my film's done and now i got to do some promotion is they post their trailer 500 times and people get sick of seeing you know you just can't just use your trailer right so we 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 have a lot of different strategies for you know how and what to post and where the second thing i think that's really really critical for people to understand is that your movie is not a brand and we've been trying to pitch this for a long time and and people still You know, they they want to, you know, they want to see the film as a brand. And it's not the filmmaker is a brand. I don't think any filmmaker makes a movie thinking this is the only movie I'm going to ever make. No, they make a movie because they want to make movies and they want to do it long term. If they want that dream to come true, then they have to learn how to be successful. and, And part of that is learning about the business side of it. So. You are the filmmaker is the brand. It could be your production company. Say you have two or three people that have got together and made a production company and you're going to planning on, you know, making movies together for a long time. We have several, you know, companies like that. And then then so your YouTube channel, your Twitter account, your Instagram account should be the brand,
0: which is you or your production company. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. Now, back to the show.
1: So that you're you're building, as you build your body of work, you're building an audience. And so if this is your first first film, fine. And that's all it's going to be on those channels. When you do your next film, then you're going to push that down on the channel and you're going to feature the new movie. But you're already going to have subscribers and followers and people waiting for that new movie. So you're constantly building bigger and bigger and bigger. And that's why, like I told you, that one filmmaker had six hundred thousand emails, okay, mm-hmm. from all the movies that they've made and, and built up their, you know, their their brand. And then on Facebook, you make a separate page for each product. That way, you're minimizing the number of profiles you have to maintain as well. If you start making a separate one for every single movie, next thing you know, you're going to have forty or fifty profiles to maintain. Mm-hmm. The same. Tell me about it. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so you want to so you want to keep in mind that you are the brand, and and you want to build up you know an audience for your body of work so that people you know will look to you. It's you know that's how people like Coppola and you know and and any of these big
0: Kevin know, Smith and Scorsese you know, and, and, and Christopher yeah.
1: Nolan. I don't care how big they are; they all started building. You know, he started with Memento. It was a small, it was an independent film, right? You know, and, and you build a body of work and then people are waiting for your next movie, eventually. And, you know, it's it may, movie making, you get better and better as you go on. You know, it's just something that you learn and perfect your craft. And, you know, so that's all really, really
0: important. So Linda, where can people find out more about you and what you and Michael are doing over at Rights?
1: Well, our website is IndieWrites.com. And there's a lot of information there, a lot of testimonials. You can actually see our contract there. Uh, Part of our reputation is that we're very, very transparent. Um, We have uh, a great YouTube channel now that's called Indie Rights Movies for Free, and uh, that's where you'll find a lot of our movies. They're full feature-length films in HD, and uh, and eventually that's where you know our movies go we of course we take the time to exploit um other avenues first you know we will get to go to a market like i have uh, each market we go to we make a really nice catalog that features each film and uh if you have done your work and gotten tomatoes you'll have a tomato on your page and uh, you know quote and so everybody gets to be in this book uh, four times, twice, once for each can and AFM, you get a big page. And then, then afterwards you get a small page after two years, buyers aren't interested in even looking. So you need to make most of those first two years. And then, uh, um, So that's, that's, those are the two best places to find us. We're also of course on Instagram and uh, Twitter and uh, Facebook.
0: Linda, it has been a pleasure talking to you as always. Uh, you are a wealth of information, and uh, and I appreciate all the work that you've been doing to help filmmakers over the years and trying to get some money <laughs> for for them, and and hopefully educating them. I mean, you do a lot of education as well, and really kind of walk people through the process after they sign with you. So I do truly appreciate everything you've done, and uh, I'll see you at AFM as as every year and and uh, hopefully uh, we'll we'll talk about those virtual reality revenue streams that we're going to be making. <laughs> Great.
1: <laughs> I, Thanks I so much. It. Honored to be on your show, and uh, it's always a pleasure.
0: I want to thank Linda so much for coming on the show and dropping her knowledge bombs on the tribe. Thank you so much, Linda. If you want to get links to anything we spoke about in this episode, including how to reach out to Linda, if you have a film, head over to the show notes at IndieFilmHustle.com forward slash 632. Thank you so much for listening, guys. As always, keep that hustle going. Keep that dream alive. Stay safe out there, and I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Indie Film Hustle podcast at IndieFilmHustle.com. That's I-N-D-I-E-F-I-L-M-H-U-S-T-L-E.com.